a really quick and exciting announcement to make. The Menopause and Cancer podcast is now also on YouTube, and I'm so excited that more people now get to watch our conversations. So the link to the YouTube channel is in our show notes. Please go and subscribe to the channel so that more people who need to hear our conversations are able to find them. Thank you. Hi, I'm Danny Bennington and welcome to my podcast. This podcast is for anyone who's been affected by cancer and menopause. I'll be speaking to special guests and menopause experts to help us find solutions to our symptoms and of course address the greater picture. We're going to talk about everything from mental health to physical health, sexual health to bone health and everything in between. Nothing is off limits. Welcome. episode on the podcast. I'm giggling as I'm recording this because I'm just looking at all of the messages that we've had from last week's podcast episode of many of you saying, Danny, I'm so excited. I've already started walking and I don't even know exactly what the challenge is going to be. (laughs) And I'm going to leave you hanging for a little bit longer. If you've listened to last week's podcast episode, you know we're planning an amazing walking fundraising event And we've got different challenges for you so that you can choose the goal, that you can set yourself up for absolute success, which is key for us. But we're going to connect you. We're going to do this together. And we're all, as a community, going to walk through the seasons of life. May it rain or shine. And we're going to step outside our houses and homes. And we're going to walk through the autumn together. And I'm really excited about this, but I'm going to leave you hanging for a bit longer. If you haven't listened to last week's podcast episode, let this be your reminder to get yourself a pair of walking shoes. Whatever they are for you, whatever tickles your fancy, you might have some already. Tie your laces and get out and walk. And I'm really excited next week to give you more information. In the meantime, if you're in our Facebook community, this is a really good place to um, receive the latest information about our events and everything that is happening. But let's get into this week's podcast episode. I want to revisit the conversation around herbal medication because studies have indicated that herbal medicine is the commonest form of complementary and alternative medicine used by patients with cancer and especially with increasing use following a cancer diagnosis. And I know this topic is so relevant to so many of you. We often talk about herbal medication in our Facebook group and the most common worry amongst all of you are contraindications. And so I know many of you believe in the power of herbal medication. Otherwise, we wouldn't worry that it interferes with some of the medication we might be on. But do you actually really know how you can use it? Who can help you use it safely? What are your contraindications? if there are any, and what are some common myths? And that's what I want to uh, get into in today's episode. Today, we have Melinda McDougall rejoin this conversation. She's the Vice President of the National Institute of Medical Herbalists, and she's a medical herbalist herself, specializing in women's health and menopause. She has been on the show before, and Melinda is a powerhouse of a woman and a wealth of information. And today we want to really get into the nitty gritty and help you rethink herbal medication. If you are a healthcare practitioner, a doctor, an oncologist, anyone else helping women with a cancer diagnosis, please 
listen carefully, because we want to talk about the truth about black co-wash. We want to really talk about the facts of plant estrogens and why you might have to rethink what you already know today. Will red clover become a player in helping reduce cancer recurrence? And I know this will go against so many things you might have learned up until today. How can herbal medication help you stay on your long-term cancer treatment? And is that really the aim and the role of a medical herbalist? We will also talk about how can medication, herbal medication, help with body and joint aches, low mood, hot flushes, poor sleep, anxiety, weight gain. There is so much in this episode. I hope you've got pen and paper ready and I'm excited to welcome Melinda onto the show. Melinda, I'm totally honoured to be sitting in front of you again today. Welcome. How are you? Oh, it's great to be back here on your podcast, Danny. Lovely to see you. Lovely to see you. So we've spoken about the use of herbal medications and all your fantastic work quite a few months back when I first launched the podcast. And it's great you're back because things have changed. I've spoken to more people about how they've used herbal medications. And I just wanted to revisit the conversation because it doesn't go away. And people are so interested and so keen and also so worried about many things that I thought we have to have the conversation again. Yes, good. Let's let's do it. How and who do you meet from my community? I, I was I came to you years ago after my own menopause was onset by my surgery. And you've met many members of my community, I guess, that have had cancer and menopause. Tell me a little bit about who comes to you. As you know, I specialize in supporting women through menopause and perimenopause generally with herbal medicine. And in recent years, the demand for women who are going through breast cancer recovery treatment uh, to seek help from me has really grown quite a lot. So I see women who are uh, taking, for example, tamoxifen, anastrozole, letrozole, zolodex, and are really suffering with the side effects of those drugs. Now, I see my job as helping them to stay on their medication as long as possible, but to help them to safely mitigate some of the side effects of those drugs. Because as we know, the side effects can be so awful and debilitating that it means that women stop taking their medication and come off the drugs. And we want them to stay on the drugs, keep breast cancer at bay, but also just to feel better, you know, while they're doing it. So that's that's my job. And you say breast cancer in particular, is it people with any cancer that find their way to you? And I guess we have more uh, rates of breast cancer, isn't it? But it's any cancer you see, or do you specialize in breast cancer? Yeah, so there is an epidemic of breast cancer at the moment, but uh, I also see women who, you know, perhaps have had hysterectomies, you know, have had um, endometrial cancer, uterine cancer, you know, they're, they're the sort of main two that I, that I really see. So women who've sort of had surgical chemical menopause as well as normal menopause. And do you feel that those women's menopauses are different, worse, special to all the women you help who are in natural perimenopause as such? I do. I feel that with the natural progression of menopause, 
you know, you're looking at a 20 year period of the body adjusting to a new state of being, um, you know, when you take into account the whole of perimenopause and then the after effects of, of your period stopping. But then when you say, for example, have your ovaries removed, you have a hysterectomy or you start taking, you know, estrogen suppressing medication, you're just plunged into menopause overnight. You don't get any of that mental or physical preparation. So those women particularly need a lot of support, uh, you know, for the mental and physical effects that they experience, um, which can be really harsh. That's exactly what we sort of hear always. And then on top of that, we hear that women feel they have no options, no treatment options. It's almost as if they think that's their lot. And that's always really upsetting when you think you've got no options and no room for improvements sometimes. And if you've had surgical menopause, you think that's it now forever. Or if you're maybe on a long-term endocrine treatment, you think, wow, how am I going to manage for five or 10 years? It just feels too long a stretch. Yeah. But yes, before we go give up, into, don't you? You, you yeah. give up. And then that giving up feels awful because mm-hmm. it feels like we have failed and we think perhaps we're not strong enough or I'm not good enough or I haven't tried hard enough or I haven't exercised enough or eaten as well yeah. as other people. And yes. so it's, it's almost as if we're a little bit to blame that we couldn't sustain these treatments and the guilt that comes with it. It's so many layers and layers. So of many layers. And really. it's a particularly yeah. female situation I think you know we are very encouraged to always blame ourselves when things go wrong you know yeah it's kind of like wired into us a little bit but we're here to unwire yes (laughs) Um, for anyone that hasn't listened to our first episode we have recorded together let's clarify what's the difference between a supplement and a herbal medication or is there a difference because people sometimes use both words I feel meaning the same or I don't know what people mean but let's clarify yeah so I am a medical herbalist I work with plant uh, medicines plant extracts Um, you know I mainly work with liquid herbal medicines liquid botanical extracts because they're very potent and very effective and you know they actually contain not just one molecule from a plant you know uh, they include all the chemical constituents that are in in a plant, which may be up to a hundred different chemicals. Whereas a supplement is a really targeted, usually extraction of a a molecule. So say, for example, with a turmeric extract, um, you'd be looking at a curcumin uh, molecule, you know, that's used in, in that supplement. So it's not the whole plant that you're getting with that supplement. And also supplements can also contain incredibly high doses of a certain uh, compound, uh, which may or may not be beneficial for the human body. I mean, I do also prescribe supplements as part of my protocols and and practice, but herbal, herbal medicine is very different to that. You know, it's looking at the whole plant. And someone said to me recently, they said, look, all supplements are totally unregulated. And I can't remember who that was now and what context the conversation was. But I wonder whether people worry about the regulation of herbal medicine. How does that work? Yeah, I mean, there is a huge issue around the regulation of herbal medicine. 
you know, I think there is a, a fair amount of regulation of supplements, although the last time I saw any kind of prosecution against any type of supplement company was, you know, a very long time ago. But the regulation of herbal medicines is, it, it is a tricky situation. You know, um, there are a lot of, you have to be very careful, basically, what you're buying. So don't buy off Amazon. Don't oh, really. Yeah, don't don't buy herbal medicines off Amazon. Go to a really trusted and respectable source for your um, herbal medicines. And obviously, seeing a, a medical herbalist, you're going to get really high quality medicines. You know, because the problem with herbal medicines is a lot of the things that are advertised. You know, a lot of those kind of cheap supplements that you buy on the high street. A, they don't work, and B, they often don't contain the plants they're supposed to be advertised as, as containing. So you really are throwing your money away a lot with, with those kind of supplements. There is a logo that I think we've mentioned before, which is um, THR, which is traditional herbal registration. And that means it has gone through a registration process. And, uh, you know, you can rely on the fact that that is a quality product. Uh, so that's something to look out for if you are in a health food shop or you're looking to buy your supplements online. Um, look for that logo. And I can't remember how I found you. Can you remember how we can you remember? Have I found you? How did I find you? I can't remember now. I really I'm, can't remember, Danny. Maybe I need to look through, through a connection. Trails. It was yeah, a long was time ago now. It was definitely because as an Austrian and raised and born in Austria, people use herbal medication so much more readily, like your normal general practitioner, as much as they will prescribe antibiotics, they will prescribe cough syrups that are plant medicine. And for many other ailments and illnesses, you'll get plant medication. So I think when I was running out of options for my lymphedema, plant medicine was definitely something I thought, well, of course, of course, for my lymphatics. And, and I know that's one of the first things I came to you for. But how do other people, if they think, I, I don't want to go and make the mistake of Amazoning my plant <laughs> medicine. <laughs> I, I, I don't know really what I'm doing. How can they find a trusted source? So I am uh, also the vice president of the National Institute of Medical Herbalists, and we are the governing body, uh, well, the main governing body for herbal practitioners in the UK. So you can look on our website, which is nimh.org.uk, go on to the Find a Herbalist section of that website and you can find someone near you uh, who, you know, we are uh, highly trained, we are registered, we are very safe and effective, you know, and there is a, a couple of other governing bodies as well, the College of Practitioners of Phytotherapy, CPP, they are also very highly trained and very highly regulated. Uh, so definitely go and see a herbalist if you want some good advice. And I think, you know, and we, we discussed this a bit last time, Danny, but, you know, especially if you're taking medication to manage your breast cancer uh, and to suppress, suppress it and stop recurrence, you know, don't mess around, you know, go and get some specialist advice because, you, you know, you don't want to put your treatment at risk. And that's often a contraindication with us as the patient. And I hear it every single day that women worry about the contraindications of, say, um, a herbal medication they might have bought on Amazon or in their local health food store. And their main worry is not about how amazing it could be for them. It's how much it could interfere with some of the other drugs they're on. 
So what that is telling me is it's telling me we really believe these medications work. Yes. Otherwise, we wouldn't worry that they could interfere. But sometimes I feel people don't really believe how powerful they can be in helping you. And that's what I really want to get out of you today, because they can be ever so helpful. And so I've had a message from a lady who said, my mood is really low. I struggle with anxiety, I have awful joint pain, dizziness, sweats and chills, brain fog and poor sleep. Like that is a lot to mm. deal with for, for one person. If any of these could be helped, that would be a blessing. Like she's asking for any of these to be helped. I just like to feel calmer and I think I might have some other symptoms as, as well. What, what can I do to manage them? And she's currently already taking pregabalin, which is, I think, a medication to help with your hot flushes. Mm -hmm. So she might have had some help from her doctor. How do you embrace a patient like that when they walk through the door? What's the protocol? What can we expect? Do you talk to their doctor or how does it work? Yeah, so um, when people come and see me for the first time, we do a 90-minute consultation online. And I really listen to everything that's going on for them. And, you know, that long list that that woman has just described, I'd say that's fairly standard you know, if not longer, you know, I will listen, I will take on board any medication that you might be taking and um, make sure whatever I'm prescribing is, is very safe to take alongside of that. Then once we've done the consultation and I'll look at things like, what's your diet like? How are you sleeping? You know, what's your digestion like? Because that's so fundamental as well, because without a good digestive system, you're not going to absorb the herbal medicine that I'm giving you or, or any supplements or your food properly. So that's quite key. Then I will go away and put together a, a herbal medicine prescription. And as I've said, that will be in liquid form and I'll get you to take that twice a day. Um, and if needed, I do communicate with, you know, gynecologists, oncologists, breast cancer teams, pharmacists, um, you know, because patients want to feel confident that what they're taking is going to be safe. And sometimes I have to have a little bit of a discussion with the uh, oncologists and perhaps send them a few papers uh, to prove what I'm saying. But I've had some really good outcomes recently, actually. And I think perhaps people are a bit more receptive and are, you know, because I mean, if you're an oncologist, you want your patient to be well, happy, feel good, stay on the medication, but also to know what else they're taking. So, you know, I'm really up for collaboration. But for example, with that, that woman that you uh, have just, just mentioned, you know, I would probably give her maybe six or seven different herbs in her prescription and they would be working on all different aspects of, of those symptoms, you know, and I'm sure we'll, we'll get on to kind of talking about the specifics of some of that if you want to. Yeah, because I think what, what I think what I usually hear in, in, in chat forums or in groups or when I meet ladies at my workshops or uh, if it's online or in person, they sort of say, can you recommend one thing? Like, obviously, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't even remember what you put in my herbal medication. So I <laughs> I don't think my brain fog is <laughs> brilliant at the moment, but obviously I couldn't recommend anything anyway. But people want to sort of have one thing. We kind of like want to buy that one thing that yeah. will help. But you're putting six or seven different herbal preparations into that prescription for that yeah. patient. Is this how it always works? Yeah, definitely. Because also, yeah. uh, you know, it's 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 individualized medicine. It's personalized medicine. It's not one size fits all. It's 
listening to the person, taking on board their lifestyle, their situation and their individual symptoms, because symptoms are different for everyone. I mean, yeah, there are some definitely universal symptoms, um, but there isn't really that kind of magic silver bullet that, you know, okay, just take this and you'll feel better, you know, and also I think as well, you know, we're, we're human. So we all want an easy shortcut, don't we? I mean, that's why AI is going to be so big, because it comes down to what's the easiest shortcut for humanity, right? But, you know, and it's the same with menopause. Everyone just wants to know what's the one thing, what's the quick win. And I think as we've kind of seen with HRT, it's not a one size fits all for everyone. And uh, it's not going to suit everyone and their side effects. And, you know, it's because women are so individual and you may not only just have, uh, you might not only just be recovering from breast cancer, you might also have diabetes, you might also have high blood pressure, you might have a whole host of other things going on. So that all has to be taken into account when I'm treating someone. So it's really holistic and very individualized. So the preparation will be different. Say a person comes with exactly um, the symptoms we've just talked about. It'll be different if that person is on tamoxifen or an aromatase inhibitor, right? You will just take care of all the contraindications, I guess, which yes. takes of take, takes the pressure out of us having to worry about all of those things. Because I think I always doubted myself so much of what I was doing. Yeah. I stopped communicating with my doctors. I stopped yeah. communicating with any of my medical team because I just thought well I don't really know what I'm doing and they're just yeah. going to tell me to either stop or yeah. it's pointless yeah and so actually my oncologist didn't really know all of the things I yeah. was doing and that's not very helpful for anyone yeah. isn't it there's no growth in that it's no it's a disconnect that doesn't serve anyone no and that's why I you know I I really like working collaboratively with oncologists gynecologists pharmacists because I want the patient to feel safe and I, I don't want to put them into a position where they feel like they're hiding things or they feel like they are, you know, going outside of what the treatment protocol is. So I, I kind of want them taken out of that conversation almost and for me to be able to have that conversation. For, and so for then both of her practitioners to be able to say okay we're, we're both in agreement that this is okay for you to take so what can we do about body and joint aches for example uh, it's really that women say their yeah. whole body aches I was just on a zoom call the other day and this lady yeah. said my legs are so painful yeah it's not just an ache it's a pain so I'm I'm a bit controversial here Danny but I am a massive fan of black cohosh right now this is where I think the, the current research has not matched up with the guidelines and advice that a lot of the medical professional are receiving. So black cohosh is a plant, a herb that's been used for hundreds of years for menopause. And it was first used by the uh, indigenous North Americans. And then the British went to North America, colonized North America, and then brought it back to England, brought it back to the UK. So it's been in use, you know, in this country ever since that time. And, you know, it's incredibly effective for menopause symptoms. And in the past, 
people thought it was a phytoestrogen. And so people were very uh, suspicious of it when it came to breast cancer. But I will get onto that. That's a whole other topic, actually, about phytoestrogens. So the message is still to this day, don't take black cohosh if you've got breast cancer or you're on tamoxifen or letrozole. And I really dispute this hugely. And there's actually been some really interesting research trials that have been done with women on tamoxifen who were also given black cohosh. So it can't be that unsafe if they're doing a clinical trial with the two things together. And not only did they find that black cohosh actually enhanced the activity of tamoxifen, so made it more effective, but it also reduced a lot of the symptoms that you're describing. So things like joint aches, night sweats, hot flushes, it improved mood. And I think this is a really important plant for women having breast cancer treatment. Not all of the uh, oncologists will sympathize with that view, but I have had some really good success lately in sending my research papers off to people and, you know, some good feedback saying, okay, I'm happy with this, you know, go ahead. This is fascinating, isn't it? Because black cohosh is probably one of the herbs that is quite widely used in the menopause um, conversation, whether you've had cancer or not. And again, coming back to our worries, it's often contraindications and I don't think I can take it. I'm on a drug like you're explaining, or I've had an estrogen driven cancer, whether that's breast cancer or maybe ovarian cancer or another estrogen driven cancer. It's navigating the different opinions of yeah. specialists that is really difficult as it a is. patient. Yeah. And sometimes we have people um, who have consultants at the same hospital and they're being given contradicting advice yeah. from two of their top consultants at the same hospital. And it's so difficult to navigate that as a patient. Any suggestion and advice how we well, can do that? I think this is where, you know, where I come in, really, because being able to have those kind of scientific conversations with specialists and to um, send them the evidence, the up-to-date evidence, and to get them to review it, I think is really useful. And of course, sometimes, unfortunately, the answer comes back from the specialist and the answer is, no, I don't want you to use black cohosh with this patient. And I have to respect that because I don't want to put the patient in a difficult situation. So I have to take it out of the prescription. And that makes me very sad. But, you know, I'm totally respectful of that relationship. And, um, you know, as much as I would love to be able to use it with everyone, there are definitely situations where I'm not able to you know I don't want everyone listening to this to sort of rush out and start buying black cohosh and start taking it you know it's about having this knowledge and this conversation because the other thing that black cohosh is very unfair unfairly tarnished reputation in that it has been how can I express this it has been given the reputation of causing some liver toxicity and liver damage And again, if you go back and look at all the evidence, that is really unproven, I would say. You know, there have been cases where women were taking substances that had black cohosh in them, but they had multiple other herbal medicines in them. And then they developed liver problems and the black cohosh was blamed. You know, there's been lots of studies into the safety of black cohosh in terms of my own 
personal practice and all the herbalists um, in my network, none of us have ever seen any adverse effects from using it. But we all use very high quality products. And that's the key. And I think what is for me the most fascinating here is how can we continue to educate one another? Because it's not an oncologist's job to know everything about herbal medication. It's not really a surgeon's job to know about all the contraindications with supplements and herbs and diet. And I mean, when I bombarded my poor menopause specialist, I wanted to know whether all the food I was eating and I came with like a food plan of two weeks, whether the phytoestrogen would be enough to help me with some of my symptoms. I mean, how would that poor man (laughs) would have known how to deal with me? And bless him, he had a really good conversation with me about everything. But it's not really their job to know all of these things. And so I wonder how in the next decade we can go around and we can educate each other and all of you healthcare professionals so that oncologists can learn from you, maybe update their views so that together you can help us patients. And it sounds like from you and the efforts you're making that that is working. And in in the same way, I mean, on the other end of the spectrum, I have it sometimes with women who say, I really want to try HRT. Mm. I'm 20 years out of my breast cancer. I'm in such a state. Let me just talk to someone about it. And they might not think that anyone will listen, but now they can at least have the conversation. doesn't mean they were ever started, but it's having that conversation, isn't it? It's yeah. For you to have the conversation with an oncologist, for the oncologist to accept it, that's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, that's a big win, you know, and that's what I mean about I feel that the the sands are starting to shift a little bit because uh, people realise that their patients are taking all of these things, you know, and they're not telling them about it. Um, So it's better to have these conversations out in the open, have the discussion, look at the science see what's there, see what the research tells you, um, because ultimately we want to be able to, to help the patients to stay on the medication and to feel better. But just going back to your other, you know, your quick query with the, the, the lady with the long list of symptoms, you know, there's so many other things you can do uh, with herbal medicine to, to help yourself to feel better when you're on some of these, you know, uh, medications like tamoxifen or letrozole, because they do really affect your mood. They make you feel really low and that can, you know, have real knock-on effects to how you feel about yourself. You can put on weight, you can end up with really awful sugar cravings, you know, all sorts of things can go on. So some of the things I use just to help women to feel a bit better, there's a, a herb called blue skullcap, which is very good for anxiety. It's very calming. Um, it's very relaxing. Um, but it's not sedative in any way. And I have not found any contraindications with any medication. And I really do love that one. And you can have it as a tincture or you can even have it as a loose tea to to sip. Um, So that's a really good one. And lemon balm is another one that really helps you to feel uplifted. Um, It's also very good for your digestion as well. And you can have that as as a liquid, a tincture. Um, or a tea. And rose, rose is a beautiful herbal medicine that you can take. Um, Again, you can just have it in drops, just as a liquid, or you can have rose tea. And it really is a beautiful, uplifting medicine. And I just say one thing about herbal teas as well, always try and get loose tea, because it's going to be so much stronger and more potent than a tea bag, you know, a herbal tea bag. Yeah. And, you know, steep it in your teapot for about 10 minutes to really let the water 
do its work because what's happening is a chemical reaction. The hot water is actually extracting the chemicals from the plants and putting it into the water for you to then drink as a tea. And there's a place in London called Baldwin's, which is a really old apothecary. It's been there for a really, really long time and they do online um, mail order. And you can get the most beautiful loose herbal teas from them. So really, that is such an easy, cheap way of of using herbal medicine, um, but really effective. You know, like you said earlier, people underestimate the power of some of these medicines when they're sort of used in a very simple way. And they can be so effective. You know, I can imagine someone listening to this just going, oh, a cup of tea is not going to make me feel better. But it really can, you know, and especially if you drink like say if you had um, your skullcap tea and you drank it three times a day, you would really start to feel so much calmer and less anxious. It would really have a big effect. And, you know, for example, you, you mentioned sleep as well, which is huge, huge problem. And you get all the night sweats going on and it's, oh, it's awful. But, you know, simple things like valerian and passion flower and again, skullcap. I mean, I have people that, come back to me for years and years year after year for my sleep medicines because they just rave about them because they really do work you know valerian passion flower um, you know take them half an hour before bed take them as a tea as a tincture or you can even get them as a um, as a supplement as well but they they're just really effective simple remedies that can help you sleep and Danny you know as much as I do getting a good night's sleep can change your life Absolutely. And I'm so anxious about my sleep that if I have one night where I don't sleep well, I'm already worried about the next my sleep the next night. So for me, sleep has got such a, a emotional sort of attachment as well. And I think that worry about not sleeping well sometimes makes me not sleep well, like it's mad. Well, you know that. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Um, are there any other herbs, like you spoke about that co- uh, black coash, are there any other herbs in that sort of menopause field space that people are worried about especially when it comes to cancer or cancer treatments what about sage is that one that people often talk about but worry about or is it a yeah so, so sage is is classed as a as a phytoestrogen so women with breast cancer are, are, are you know warned against taking it but I'm I'm really glad you've brought up phytoestrogens because I really wanted to talk about them actually because I think there's so much fascinating research going on at the moment, especially into so-called phytoestrogens. And I actually want to rename them because I think calling them phytoestrogens is really misleading. They certainly do have an estrogenic effect, but I think they should be called phytoserms, so selective estrogen receptor modulators. Because that's a handful of a word. <laughs> but actually, before we talk about more about the phytoestrogen, yeah. I was just on a podcast a few weeks back with a cancer dietitian from America. And she said there is so many amazing new studies about the benefits of eating plant estrogens. So yes. we know for sure now that eating your edamame beans and all of the tofus and tempeh and all of that is really beneficial, actually even in reducing our risks of recurrence. So if anyone at home is listening, it's not here we're not talking about the foods we eat, right? So I really want to separate in everyone's mind, it's not what you eat. So tell me about this. I'm not going to rename what you renamed. I'm not (laughs) going to try. Talk talk me through that again. 
Yeah, so sage would be one of those. Yes. So what, what else are phytoestrogens? So, so, you know, so for example, there are really great um, uh, supplements, like whole food supplements, and women in my community say, oh, no, that's not one for me. It contains phytoestrogens. What, what are they? So red clover, you know, is yeah. a really is a really big one. Wild yam can be classed as a as a phytoestrogen as well. And actually, going back to what you were just saying about food, you know, absolutely, food is brilliant. You know, getting getting those phytoestrogens, so called, through your food is a really healthy way of consuming them. And flaxseed is a really big one as well. Yeah, um, in yeah. that in that category. But yeah, when we talk about herbal medicines as phyto CERMs, selective estrogen receptive modulators. There's so much amazing research that's going on at the moment. It, it can get a little bit complicated, so I'm going to just try and simplify it a little bit. But when we talk about hormone receptive breast cancer, we're mainly talking about the alpha receptors, right? They're the ones that drive breast cancer. So there's two kinds of estrogen receptors, alpha and beta. Now, the beta receptors have only been discovered since 1996. So we, we, they haven't been known about for a very long time. And they are actually very anti-proliferative. You know, they can actually reduce cancer and they actually put the brakes on the alpha receptors. So all the drugs like, say, tamoxifen, that is targeting the alpha receptors, okay? We want to suppress those alpha receptors, want to suppress their activity. And I think for a long time, people assumed that these so-called phytoestrogens stimulated the alpha receptors and might increase uh, the recurrence of breast cancer. Now, that is being really debunked in a lot of the current research so we're looking at um, things like red clover um, containing certain constituents that will actually work against the alpha receptors and stimulate the beta receptors to do their job more effectively. And for me, the most exciting thing that's going on at the moment is in America, there is Dr. Roberta Brinton, and she's doing some fascinating research into this. And she's just been given a seven and a half million dollar grant to research these phytoserms. So these are components of soy and red clover that have been isolated for her to study. And she's looking at the effects in the brain and the bones and um, how they might also reduce um, breast cancer recurrence. So I cannot wait to see the results of her trial because she is specifically calling it a non-hormonal therapy because, uh, you know, it's an alternative to HRT that she's actually studying. Yeah, no, so I think this is really fascinating, isn't it? Because it's it's like we're in transition. Yeah, we it's, are. I think, I think if I had spoken to you, and I did speak to you a year and a half ago about all of this, there wasn't so much knowledge. And perhaps our conversation was a little bit safer. You know, it's recommended perhaps to stick with the plant estrogen so eat loads of soy and 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 take that in through your diet and perhaps there would have been a little bit more uh, but now you're I can hear the clarity in that you're excited about knowing more about this research of course we need to know more and we're not quite there yet but 
it'll be interesting to see what happens. We're sort of in transition, isn't it? And I'm sure we'll have another conversation about the findings in the not too distant future. Yeah, that would be great, you know. And I and I think, you know, and that's why there's a very long answer to your question, but that's why I think at the moment it's still a hard no from you know, oncologists, if you say to them, I want to take, you know, red clover and I want to take isoflavones, which are the supplement uh, which contains phytoestrogens, because the research just, it's its almost there, but it's not quite there yet. So it's its going to still be a no for most people. That's what they're and going think, to hear. And I think our language is has been so simplified, isn't it, for, for especially cancer patients who have had a cancer that was estrogen driven. They can't, their language is so simplified. It's, I don't want anything that feeds estrogen. Yes. It's not really the estrogen that feeds the cancer, isn't it, in the first in the first place? Because otherwise, all the young women with a lot of estrogen in their body would maybe have breast cancer. But actually, more breast cancers are found in the older population. And so I think the language is so simplistic and then people are just tuned into nothing that feeds estrogen. Yeah. But let's roll with that language for a moment and think you have spoken about ashwagandha, for example, yeah. in the past. Mm. Is this something that is a phytoestrogen or is this something that works differently? Where does that ashwagandha sit? Yes, not a phytoestrogen. And I'm really glad you've brought that up, actually, because just going back to your earlier question about what can people take right now. So the class of herbs that are called adaptogens are very, very useful um, for women recovering from breast cancer or in, in treatment. So things like ashwagandha, rhodiola and also Siberian ginseng are really, really useful. And actually, there's some really interesting studies on ashwagandha that, that um, suggest it may also be anti-proliferative, may also help to suppress um, breast cancer recurrence. Um, you know, rhodiola, there are some studies that show that it may interfere with some of the liver pathways in terms of um, how you know, you might metabolize your tamoxifen, for example. But these are very theoretical and, um, you know, laboratory tests, not, no tests have ever been done in actual humans, um, you know, and that it may actually increase the levels of tamoxifen in your body, which may or may not be a good thing, actually. And in fact, it may even be synergist synergistic with um, tamoxifen to use ashwagandha. But the benefits of ashwagandha are, are really wonderful because they, you know, it, it helps people to just feel much more calm, more grounded, more centered. Um, it helps protect the body against physiological and emotional stress. And it's good for helping with sleep, for example. It can improve sleep. Um, so that's a really great one, you know, and Siberian ginseng as well is, is another one that can help with energy levels if you're feeling quite fatigued. Um, mm. You know, people, I got a, a note back from a pharmacist the other day saying, don't give ginseng to this patient. And I said, oh, but what kind of ginseng? You know, because there's so many different types of ginseng. And actually, Siberian ginseng is a totally different plant to Asian ginseng, which is Panax ginseng. And Panax ginseng is a phytoestrogen. So, of course, that's going to be out, right, for now. But Siberian ginseng is a totally different plant that's not a phytoestrogen. So I think it's a great one for, for people to take, you know, and it's going to get a tick in the box. 
And do you know what, from talking to you, I mean, to know the difference between the two different ginsengs, for example, unless you're a super researched woman without yeah. any brain fog, how would you ever know? Like, <laughs> you know, how would you ever know? I'm sure there are lots of people listening thinking, yeah, I know my shit, <laughs> but <laughs> I don't, for example. Yeah. And it just shows that we do need to go to someone who really has our back and really understands. And I know... Amazon isn't where maybe a lot of people go, but it is that health food store. And I kind of think it's really rethinking, thinking, wow, we've been through so much. Like we have been dealt really difficult cards. We have been faced with our own mortality. We're on really toxic drugs. Yeah. If we believe that herbal medication could be a benefit to us, then we've got to do it properly. And then also it can be so helpful. But I guess we've got to do it properly, isn't it? It really helps to know what you're doing, you know, and that's what, uh, you know, we've talked about this before. It's just really don't mess around if you're on some really heavy medication like you've just described. You really do need some expert advice um, because there's so much out there on the Internet and it's so confusing and conflicting. Mm. And you, I mean, you know, I've spent eight years training I've spent hours and hours and hours reading research papers and researching all of this and you know it's my job and yeah get some expert advice and and don't try and do it all yourself but having said that there is so much you can do for yourself as well you know and we've talked about this before and you know all the self-care things which I know that you you know are so wonderful at communicating to people as well things like calming your nervous system and doing yoga and eating really healthily and you know looking after yourself not drinking too much alcohol you know all that kind of stuff it can make a huge difference to your energy levels your brain fog how you're feeling keeping your blood sugar stable you know all that sort of stuff is really key and going back to when you spoke about ashwagandha and stress there is no way that anyone in our situation in our community cannot be affected by stress a lot Mm -hmm. like that comes from the first diagnosis right and so it's crazy to think that we're all being treated and no one really helps us to really look after our stress levels. It almost needs to be part of cancer treatment in a way, because we know stress has such a negative effect on everything, even on our bones. Like chronic stress can have a really bad effect on the brittleness of our bones in in decades to come. And so it doesn't make sense to treat us so singularly, isn't it? It's like people treat the left boob or the cancer in, I don't know, your skin and Whereas so many of the other sort of side effects like stress can have such a negative impact. But I'm rambling and I really want to ask you, there are people out there who say supplements don't work, herbal medication doesn't work, there is no proof it works. And I have every booklet from every charity, Macmillan, Breast Cancer Now. Breast Cancer Now is actually really good in how and what they communicate. But in general, when it goes to herbal medication, you get like a tiny paragraph and it kind of like says, it's not much evidence be careful. What would you say to that? I mean, does that drive you nuts? What do you (laughs) say to people? Some people are really clever, oncologists, surgeons, they just say, oh, it's not much evidence to say it does anything for you. Yes, I think there is a huge amount of education that needs to happen. I can't do it all by myself. But (laughs) there are really, there are some really good research papers out there they perhaps don't always get the attention they deserve. Um, And certainly the big, big 
problem with herbal medicine is the funding for the research trials, you know, is lacking because there's not big profits to be made from herbal medicine. So there is a really big gap there. But I'm actually working on a project at the moment that a lot of other people are collaborating on. But we are gathering together all of the, you know, um, Chinese herbalists, you know, um, Western herbalists, um, Ayurvedic practitioners, and we're going to create a case study database, which is going to look at individual case studies and what was prescribed for them and what the outcomes were, because we feel that that is the best way of communicating the effectiveness and safety of, of what we do. You know, because it is so individual, it is quite hard to put it into a clinical trial as well. Um, but in in a way, I think that's what I loved about it when I first came to see you. It is so individual and it made me feel so whole as a person where my care was so, I don't know, I went for one appointment to this hospital and then my radiography was somewhere. Like it was always so disjointed, my care, my body, what, what was treated. And it felt like one herb didn't just treat one symptom. It was sort of a, a whole body healing experience and I still go and it's crazy what else sort of came from it and I remember you telling me to buy no to buy to forage you know the lovely sticky willy herb that is really the good cleavers, for you the yes the cleavers and yeah. they grow everywhere they're like weeds they're like yeah. weeds aren't mm -hmm. they and they sort of stick to your clothes and um you said you can infuse your water in it you put a little bit of lemon in it and then it tastes almost like cucumber water and it does and it's years this is we're talking many years since you first told me this I still have a stomp in spring and I still embrace nature and I just feel so present so whole and it's not much like I pick a few you know weeds and yeah, I know what yeah. to do with them and it makes me feel so connected to I don't know the universe and the, the nature out there and it's incredible sort of that bringing everything back into whole body experience maybe that's what herbal medication did for me and I don't always need herbal medication now yeah it's great to know it's there for me and to support me and I, I wonder how other people feel I mean I know how some other people feel but yeah what would you but say to other yeah tell me well, I was just going to say the great thing about herbal medicine is it has always been with us. You know, the plants were here before humans existed and we have evolved alongside them. So our bodies know exactly what to do with those plant medicines. We have receptors in our body for those plant medicines. And actually, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be on this planet. We wouldn't have survived as a species without those plant medicines. So they are very fundamental to our health and well-being um you know and and we you know we we've become this very advanced civilization with all this technology and all these pharmaceutical drugs which is great you know but the plants will always be there they'll always have a place and and we will always have an affinity with them because it is so primal you know mm. what would you say to other uh herbal medicalists that maybe are just starting out and <laughs> they're trying to find their feet and what would you say to them people starting out in my field yeah oh wow well I'd say you are very blessed you're very lucky and you know I I certainly have never looked back since I changed my career and became a herbalist and uh um you know it can be it can be hard at times but um 
yeah for them definitely to keep going because it is so rewarding you know just seeing the changes that you can um, support someone to to make in their health and in their whole lives you know I mean the number of times I've had women come back to me after a couple of months on my medicine and they come back and say oh I've quit my job or I've done this or I've changed all this stuff and big stuff in my life and you know it's, it's it is really empowering and uh, it can really make quite deep changes um you know to to the way that you're functioning that's all we really really needed to know um we got there it's amazing i think that's what we would like i would like all the other doctors to know because we have lots of uh, nurses now listening to the podcast specialist care nurses oncologists and surgeons and i'd love for them to really start believing in the power of herbal medications and how how much better their patients can do on them and so what a great support for everything else they're doing as well I think yeah well if any of them are listening and they would like to get in touch with me I would very be very happy to talk to them because I'm all about collaborating and um, educating people yeah and I put all of your links into the show notes as always thank you again for your time and do you know when that research paper from the lady in America is going to, is this a long on, I mean. Yes, it's quite, millions, I think it's, it's quite a long trial, I think. So I'm, I'm waiting for, with bated breath and I'm actually trying to get in touch with her as well. So I'll see if I, if I find anything out, I'll let you know, Danny. That's great. We will continue the conversation. I'm sure we will. Thank you, Melinda. I hope this episode has been super helpful for you and I hope it's giving you hope and I hope it shows you that you can add herbal medication to your toolbox should you wish to and that this information episode has given you a little bit more just sort of know-how of how you can manage maybe conversations with uh, your doctor, your oncologist uh, in how you could seek perhaps the help of a herbal medicalist and what they can do for you. If you want more information about our other support services beyond the podcast, you can find all of that on our menopauseandcancer.org website, where we list our workshops and events and our programs, where we will also talk about our next fundraising walk, which is happening throughout the autumn. And I'm so excited about that. If you want more information about our menopause and cancer program and how we can help you navigate this very challenging time of managing menopause after a cancer diagnosis, then reach out to us, have a look on the website. You can email us to hello at healthyhomey.com. And I really, really hope that through listening to our episodes, by being part and a member of our community, you already feel a tiny, tiny, tiny little bit better supported. Now, do me a favor, go and follow the show. And if you can work out how to leave a review on the podcast, can you please do so? It's the only way other people in a similar situation can find our show and access the information we get out to you every single week. I love you and leave you. Put your walking shoes on, tie your laces. We're going to walk through the seasons together, made rain or shine.